The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus said to the disciples, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate people one from another as a, shep as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those at his right hand, Come, you that are blessed by my Father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry and gave you food, or thirsty and gave you something to drink? And when was it that we saw you a stranger and welcomed you, or naked and gave you clothing? And when was it that we saw you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly I tell you, just as you did it to one of the least of these who are members of my family, you did it to me. Then he will say to those at his left hand, you that are accursed, depart from me into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you gave me no clothing. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, Lord, when was it that we saw you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not take care of you? Then he will answer them, Truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This is the gospel of the Lord. seated. Nothing like the end of the Gospel of Matthew to get you reared up and going after you've been cozy from Thanksgiving. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to see you always in the faces of our neighbors. Let your love for us blossom into love for you and flow into service for those in need in our world. And now let the words of my mouth and the thoughts of all of our hearts be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, going to start this morning with a time of confession. I really, really don't like going in to the doctor's office. Maybe that's my southern upbringing echoing and rattling around in my head all those times my mom told me as a kid, do you really need to go in? Can't you just wait it out? I mean, it'll heal on its own, put on a pot of chicken noodle soup, rest for a few days, you'll be fine. 
Maybe I don't like to go because I know it's going to cost me money that I don't want to spend. Maybe I don't want to go just because of the simple fact that I have to go through all of those check-in procedures and they're awkward and somehow I have to fill out all those, that paperwork again. Maybe I don't want to go because I don't want to sit in a room full of like-minded, grumpy, and sick people. Maybe it's because I know I'm about to receive news that I don't want to hear. Ignorance is bliss, after all. Now before I go any further, I mean no offense to our good physicians and medical care workers in the congregation. You all have tough jobs. You have to deal with sick and grumpy people like me, first and foremost. You have to go through a rigorous course of education and upkeep all of that continuing education. And with few exceptions, most of the physicians I've seen and know do all of that with grace because they truly care for their patients. But that said, I think we can all agree that visiting the doctor isn't our preferred way to spend an afternoon. Ignorance can be bliss until it costs us. I mean, there is a reason, after all, why we get our yearly checkups and physicals. It's so that we can catch our ailments and illnesses before they progress too far. It's so that we can get a snapshot of our current health so that we can take steps to maintain our wellness. Now, if this is true with our physical health, then it follows that it should be just as true with our spiritual well-being. This is why our worship is shaped in the way that it is, right? We have opportunities to reflect on ourselves in confession, opportunities to hear time and time again God's promises of love and forgiveness, opportunities to learn and grow and be challenged by the word, to remember our identity and baptism, to sustain ourselves with God's very life at the table, this is also why our liturgical year gives us opportunities to pause and reflect and assess our spiritual health. This Sunday, Christ the King Sunday, is one such opportunity, the last Sunday in our liturgical year together. It's a relatively young occasion. Christ the King Sunday began in 1925 when Pope Pius XI called for a new feast day focusing on the Lordship of Christ specifically to counter the swell of nationalist sentiment that led to the First World War. Amidst the warring of nations, and even, yes, I'll say it, even amidst our own countries vying for our ultimate allegiance, this day is designed to remind us that we belong to a different kingdom. We serve a different king, a a God who subverts, who flips upside down all of the notions of what rule and power and authority look like. This Sunday, coming at the close of the liturgical year, gives us a moment to pause and consider. Where do our ultimate allegiances lie? Are you, are we, am I, striving after God's kingdom? Or are we orienting ourselves according to the rhythms and practices of the world? Again, ignorance is bliss until it costs us. 
And if we look around our world today, it is clearly costing us. And with this, we turn to perhaps one of the most difficult passages in the gospel, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus' discourse on the judgment of the nations and that very famous enduring metaphor of the separation of the sheep and the goats. It's telling that in the gospel of Matthew, this is Jesus' last moment of public proclamation before he is crucified. You see the Jewish authorities at the time and the Roman government at the time continue to demonstrate the neglect that Jesus attributes to those goats. The next and last three days of Jesus' life should come as no surprise when the leaders were bent on ignoring the heart and the spirit of the Jewish law for its letter, and the Romans, on the other hand, were committed to the brutality of empire. This is to say it's been clear throughout this entire Gospel of Matthew as we've read this year that both the religious leaders and the government leaders of the day neglected the least of these. So it naturally follows that they would seek to end Jesus' movement and take his life. Both the abandonment of the least of these and the murder of Jesus were tactical a set of defensive maneuvers taken so that those in power could stay on top. I think this passage remains so provocative for us today because it, like our occasion for the day, Christ the King Sunday, forces us to stop and to reflect in our own time and in each of our own lives How have we treated those in need? This passage forces us to ask an even tougher question than that. How have we treated Jesus? I think the truth of the matter is that many of us still deploy defensive maneuvers when confronted with the stranger or when face to face with the poor. For some, we, begin, we become defensive and judgmental, and you can think about all the rhetoric of getting what you deserve or pulling yourself up by the bootstraps. I did it, so they should be able to do it too. It's easy to take the pressure of our responsibility off when we think people haven't just worked hard enough or that, they're not, or that they are worthy somehow of their poverty, a, a language, a rhetoric, a line of thought that Uh, It doesn't come from Jesus, by the way. Another defensive maneuver in our time is apathy. When confronted with the overwhelming brokenness apparent in our world, it's easy for us to feel our own powerlessness. And we cope with apathy. I mean, the problems are just too big to tackle on their own. I can't make a difference. And so we retreat. Tactical. This passage then serves as a truly double edged sword for us as we would try to defend ourselves in the midst of our failures. Just as we did, or just as we did not. There is no quarter, there is nowhere to run, there is nowhere to hide, no retreat left to take. We are forced to look within, 
to consider our actions, to consider, I'm going to say it, our spending, to consider where we have devoted our time to reflect on the true object of our worship. Is it Jesus? Or is it something else? Something less? Now, perhaps the best piece of good news I can offer you this morning, this is a bit of a cop-out, I'll admit, is that this is not, in fact, the only passage in the Bible or even in the Gospel of Matthew. I want to consider two other scriptures alongside our own passage this morning to sort of flesh it out. First, you can look back at the Old Testament reading for the day that's paired with this passage from Ezekiel 34. The background here, the Jewish people have been carried off into exile. God gives Ezekiel a vision in the midst of that grief and mourning of a good shepherd who will come with these words. Verses 15 and 16, I, will, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. But the fat and the strong... I will destroy. I will feed them with justice. To be sure here, we still find that strong dose and measure of accountability to those who neglect the least of these. But also we see here God as a shepherd seeking out all who are lost, bringing back all who have strayed. We see a God who seeks to restore all to right relationship. The end of that passage says the son of David will be the shepherd of them all. This is what the kingship, the lordship, the reign of Christ truly looks like. A second reading then, one that we heard earlier this year from Matthew 18. Then Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus replied to Peter, not seven times, I tell you, but 77 times. It's Matthew 18, 21, 22. In this brief snippet, we see Jesus teaching Peter a seemingly unlimited forgiveness. This is a concept that for some is about just as hard to swallow as the thought of judgment and accountability. You mean I have to forgive no matter what? It's this boundless grace. It's this unlimited forgiveness that God seeks to offer to each of us when, not if, when we fail to serve and to love our neighbors. And so we, and so we see, as we do throughout all of Scripture, the portrait of the God whom we worship and love and serve. A God, yes, of judgment and justice, but also a God of mercy and forgiveness paradox, both together as one. A God that seeks out all the lost, that accompanies especially, yes, the stranger and the outcast, the poor and the hungry, but also a God that ceaselessly strives to correct us all, to guide us all back to what I'll quote from Matthew 25, to inherit the kingdom that has been prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is God's heart and vision for creation, the kingdom for which we were all created to inherit. This is the kingdom that God has entrusted us to love into existence in the midst of our world. 
And so we see unsettling passages like Matthew 25 can be a gift, as all true accountability is. A gift that is meant to correct our course, a gift that is meant primarily for the sake of our neighbors in need who so desperately need good news. And there's a great surprise at the heart of this passage, and it's this, that both those who did and those who did not were surprised. Surprised to find Jesus in the midst of the poor and the hungry and the outcast and the stranger and the lost and broken. This can tell us two things. First, if we ever look around and wonder where Jesus at, we know where we can start looking. Amidst the least of these in our society, the poor, the marginalized, in love and in service to them, we can find Christ. A second thing, this great surprise teaches us that the sheep or those who did were just as surprised. They did, they served, not to obtain an eternal reward, they just simply served out of love for their neighbors, with strings attached. If we leave here reading this passage, pressured to serve on behalf of our eternal salvation, we've missed the point entirely. Because when we serve in this way, we do little more than tokenize the least of these in our society. Which is to say, we continue to serve ourselves and not really serve them. Instead, if we leave here feeling uncomfortable by this passage, I will encourage you, take a spiritual wellness check. Look within. Seek to understand what defensive maneuvers you are taking. Seek to find what is clogging up your heart. Seek out what is holding you back from love. You may not want to do it, It may, in fact, be painful. It probably will be. But make no mistake, we need it. I want to close today with some brief words from Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa, if you don't know who she was, she was a very famous Catholic nun and saint who served the poor in India during the 20th century. When people would come to her and ask how she was able to love so deeply, serve so ardently the poorest of the poor in that society, she responded with what she called the gospel on five fingers, taken from our passage today. You did it to me. St. Teresa had learned to see Jesus in the face of each person, and to hear the call of the Spirit, especially amongst the poorest of the poor. Having been formed in the love of Christ, who loves us to the death, she answered her call to serve the neighbor, a call that all followers of Christ share in their own unique ways. Now, I'd like to supplement her gospel on five fingers, with another hand and five more fingers. He, Jesus, did it for you. When the brokenness 
of our world feels overwhelming, when you begin to despair that you aren't enough or that you can't possibly begin to make a change, when you feel the weight of your failure, remember that with Jesus and in God's kingdom, there is always grace and forgiveness. In our baptism, the baptism we'll celebrate in just a few moments, we have secure promises and a stable identity, beloved, of God. At the table we share in, there is always empowerment, what we need. And in this thing we call church, yes, despite all its flaws and misgivings, we have an opportunity to collect ourselves, to become something greater than what we can be alone, to build one another up, to join together to love God's kingdom into existence here on earth, right here, right now. You did it to me. Jesus did it for you. Amen.